Hello, my friends, and welcome to another moment. A Black History Moment with Bo. And if you haven't heard of me yet, you better ask somebody. And the one thing that you have to realize is that I am not a teacher. I am an awakener. And when I say that, I'm saying that I am doing what my ancestors asked me to do. And that is to keep their stories alive. To crawl into society's darkest holes and pull out the truth. And here's a fact for you. They are spending millions of dollars to study our history. And you're walking around with a computer in your pocket. So why aren't you? Our skin is made of the same melanin that the entire universe is made of. So who are we? We are people of African descent. Whether we live in the North or the South America, the Caribbean, or any part of the world, we are Africans and belong to the African nation. And did you know that until the Moors came to Europe in the 7th century and civilized them, over 90% of the European population could not read or write. The people and the cultures of what is known as Africa is older than the word Africa. According to most records, old and new Africans are the oldest people on the face of the earth. The people now call Africans not only influenced the Greeks and the Romans, they influenced the early world before there was a place called Europe. You know, last night I had the honor of sitting down with my cousin who's here visiting me from Michigan, and we watched the History Channel. And I found myself getting mad because they will not let up on the propaganda that we are the inferior race of people. They will not admit that we built the pyramids. They want to cram the propaganda back down our throats that now the pyramids were built by aliens from outer space. But they will never tell you that there are more pyramids in the Sudan than there are in Egypt that are nowhere near the size of the ones in Egypt because they were burial tombs in the Sudan. But they didn't harbor kings and pharaohs like the ones in Egypt did. So I must say, people, it is time for an awakening. Because if it was up to them, anti-literacy laws would be in effect once again. And anti-literacy laws in many states before and during the American Civil War affected slaves, freedmen, and in some cases, all people of color. The issue of literacy among blacks during the Civil War was a complicated one. And it starts with, is the subject an enslaved person? If he is a free man in the North, it would be legal for him to read at this time in 1863. But what if he is not free? Or what if he is a free black man residing in a slave state? 
Before the 1830, there were a few restrictions on teaching slaves to read and write. After the slave revolt led by Nate Turner in 1831, all slave states except Maryland, Kentucky, and Tennessee passed laws against teaching slaves to read and write. For example, in 1831 and 1832, statutes were passed in Virginia prohibiting meetings to teach blacks to read or write and instituting a fine of $10 to $100 for teaching enslaved blacks. The Alabama Slave Code of 1833 included the following law. Any person who shall attempt to teach any free person of color or slave to spell, read, or write shall upon conviction thereof by indictment be fined in a sum of not less than $250, nor more than $500. At this time, Harper's Weekly published an article that stated the alphabet is an abolitionist. If you would keep up people enslaved, refused to teach them to read. You see, my friends, there was a fear that slaves who were illiterate could forge travel passes and escape. And these passes, signed by the slave owner, were required for enslaved people traveling from one place to another and usually included the date on which the slave was supposed to return. And, of course, there was also the fear that writing could mean a means of communication that would make it easier to plan insurrection and mass escapes. You see, they did not want us to communicate. Did you know that black enslaved people at this time were not even allowed to have drums? Unless you lived in New Orleans and played music Slave narratives from many sources tell us how many enslaved people became educated. Some learned to read from other literate slaves, while at other times a master or mistress was willing to teach a slave in defiance of the laws. Former slave and abolitionist leader Frederick Douglass was taught the alphabet in secret at the age of 12 by his master's wife, Sophia Ott. As he grew older, Douglas took charge of his own education, obtaining and reading newspapers and books in secret. He was often quoted asserting that knowledge is the pathway from slavery to freedom. Douglas was one of the few literate slaves who regularly taught others to read and younger slaves frequently listened outside schoolhouses where their master's children were learning. But enslaved people who were caught reading or writing were severely punished, as were their teachers. In every instant, these slaves and those who taught them undertook a profound risk, which for many was surmounted by the individual's passion, commitment, and imagination. In an effort to forge new identity after their emancipation, former slaves realized that the key to empowerment was literacy. 
Slaves who tended young white children, helping to dress them and carry their books to school, watched as they grew into successful adults and witnessed firsthand the benefits of an education. The lack of reading and writing capabilities was frustration for many as it hampered the ability to do such simple things as record a marriage or the birth of a child. With emancipation came the chance for free blacks to acquire the education they had been denied. The quest for literacy was especially important to adult blacks, as once they learned how to read, they could teach their children, producing a new generation of educated, freed African Americans. Following the Emancipation Proclamation, Northern whites helped newly freed blacks to construct schools and served as teachers. In Arkansas, a visiting teacher tasked with teaching black soldiers to read and write recalled that the soldiers seemed to feel the importance of learning and studied very hard. Others observed that since their emancipation, one of the most gratifying facts developed by the recent change in their condition is that they very generally desired instruction and seized every opportunity to obtain it. Their determination to obtain literacy was so great that for many it ranked as high as necessities like food and shelter. Many black soldiers became part of the movement to educate former slaves. They advocated for building schools and the opportunities for others to learn. The soldiers knew that they would need to construct new lives, and education was the key to achieving that goal. You see, my friends, for African Americans, freedom was something that was gained overnight. For many, freedom came with the Emancipation Proclamation. For others, it came when they escaped in the middle of the night and crossed into Union territory. Yet for some, it occurred when they donned the blue uniform of the Union Army. The Army gave freedmen a purpose. Not only were they fighting for their personal right to exist, but also for a country that they thought they were indebted to that they fought and died for the United States only solidified their claims that African Americans deserved equal rights and citizenship. Frederick Douglass believed that black military service and black American citizenship were linked. Once let the black man in, an eagle on his button and a musket on his shoulder and bullets in his pockets, and there is no power on earth which can deny that he has earned his right to citizenship. But life as a black Union soldier was not at all what many had envisioned. In fact, former slaves had some of the worst jobs in the army. They were often regulated to menial jobs, such as digging ditches or cleaning away dead bodies, and they were paid much less than their white counterparts. Although they were less likely to be killed in action, 
black soldiers were much more likely to succumb to diseases and bacterial infections at camp because of the tasks assigned to them. Writing to the Secretary of War, Edwin Stanton, a black soldier objected to the inequality, stating, We have come out like men, and we expected to be treated as men, but we have been treated more like dogs than men. And you know, additionally, if they were captured, they were not seen as prisoners of war in the eyes of the Confederacy, but as property. Due to this Southern policy, the Union had no recourse for prisoner exchange. Black soldiers were sent back to the states from which they came to, either to be thrown back into slavery or executed. Despite these risks, a total of 186,000 blacks served in the Union Army during Civil War which accounted for one-tenth of the Army's total forces. Half of those soldiers originated from a pro-slavery southern state. For African Americans, religion and the Christian church was and continues to be a unifying and enduring force within the black community. Faith and freedom were strongly intertwined. Blacks considered emancipation the beginning of their exodus out of bondage, and the Christian church became a primary focus in the lives of African Americans. During Reconstruction, the expansion and prosperity of black churches stood as a symbol of black progress to naysayers who believed that emancipation slaves could not and would not be able to organize and become productive citizens. Church congregations also provided a support system against poverty and outside discrimination and gave hope to the masses that conditions would improve for the formerly enslaved population. Church-affiliated societies and youth groups created in order to support, instill, and enforce family values and religious ideas. Churches often provided blacks their first taste of civic independence. As self-governing institution, their administration was tended to by their black parishioners, providing the opportunity for blacks to hold positions of leadership. Perhaps most important, churches served as educational institutions by encouraging literacy through the reading of the Bible. So my friends, I must ask you this. If the slave masters were not Christians, would you be a Christian? By the sound of that music, you know what time it is. But before I go, I have a couple of things. I have a relative here from Michigan visiting me, and I love her dearly. So I must give a shout out to Sandy Neal, because it seems that we have buried the people that held the family together. And we as a people have got to do better. So here is my word to you, my friends. 
I exist because my ancestors used their creativity to survive. And if I am not helping my family build and grow, we are just wasting each other's time. Until next time, have a good day. And it's been my honor.